ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Ofer Sharon. He's a professor of sociology at UMass Amherst and the author of the recently released book, The Stigma Trap, College Educated, Experienced, and Long-Term Unemployed. Thank you so much for joining us today. Lovely to be here. As seasoned professionals, most of the podcast listeners understand implicitly that securing a job is akin to crafting a compelling marketing campaign. It's about personal branding, strategic positioning, effective messaging. And yet, despite our collective expertise in shaping narratives and influencing perceptions, many experienced, successful professionals will, at some point in their careers, find themselves unemployed and perhaps facing the daunting reality of long-term unemployment. This is a topic that you've studied extensively, and I think that by sharing your findings and recommendations, it will be very helpful, not only for the people who happen to be experiencing long-term unemployment, but also their family, friends, colleagues, as well as recruiters and hiring managers. First of all, what counts as long-term unemployment? In the U.S., long-term unemployment is considered someone after six months of unemployment because that's typically when the benefits, unemployment compensation, gets cut off. In, in other societies, in Europe, it's typically more a year. It, it also seems that since the pandemic, long-term unemployment among highly educated, very seasoned and successful employees has increased. Is this my anecdotal experience or does it reflect a real trend? So after, during and after the pandemic, long-term unemployment spiked to extremely high levels. That for reasons everyone understood. Since then, we see headlines of record low unemployment, quote unquote, it's very misleading because, first of all, across okay. the board, we have a million people, over a million people who are still stuck in long-term unemployment. But really, that's just the like tip of the iceberg. The iceberg is the underemployment because eventually people have to cave. They can't hold out for the professional jobs they're looking for because they need money to survive. So that's where you get all these workers doing Home Depot or Uber or these other survival jobs that make no use of their skills. We know that people who are highly educated professionals are just as likely as someone without a high school degree to get trapped in long-term unemployment. Once you're unemployed, there's no educational buffer from long-term unemployment. The statistics show professionals with long careers and a lot of experience, they're just as likely to fall into that trap as everyone else, including people with much lower levels of education. Education is not the buffer. The explanations have to do more with age and with stigma. Wow. So, I, I mean, I just think it's really important to put general job security into perspective, the likelihood that someone today at some point in their career is going to be that they're going to become unemployed. I read in one of your articles, it's three out of four. Is that right? It's three out of four people will find themselves surprised you're unemployed. Yes, yes, that's on average. And people also will experience it multiple times. And then in addition to that, once you find yourself 
and there's a high likelihood you'd play the lottery on those odds, that will happen to you at some point. Once you're in that unemployed bucket, college degree, no college degree, you're just as likely to find yourself in the long-term unemployed bucket, right? That I, I think that that's really, and even if you went to somewhere like Harvard or MIT, right? Yeah, so that's that's just one of the big puzzles that I try to figure out is how could it be that someone with a PhD from Harvard or MIT or just elite educational institutions still find themselves trapped in long-term unemployment? I was really struck by, by the statistics you mentioned that once unemployed, the likelihood of getting trapped in, in long-term unemployment really does not vary by education. And so, yeah, that includes people with PhDs and advanced degrees, MBAs, masters. It's really not about that. And that that took me a long time to really wrap my mind around. But those very high educational pedigrees are not protective or predictive of whether or not you fall into long-term unemployment. There was a phrase in one of the articles that you shared with me was no reliable shield. And I thought, wow, that that really yeah no reliable shield so you had you had yes. hinted at something earlier where you said it's it's really not that it's not the education do we have other things that do correlate like if you find yourselves unemployed and you're over 50 is there a percent chance that you're likely to find yourself then long term unemployed is that is there a correlation there yes absolutely so the older you are the more likely you are to get trapped in long term unemployment once you're unemployed. So that that is a perfect correlation. So there's nothing magical about 50. People who are 40 are more likely to get trapped in it than people who are 30. And people who are 50 are more likely than those in their 40s. It's a linear progression of yeah. higher and higher chance of getting caught. Now, what the exact chances are, those really do vary by the economy within the two or three years following the Great Recession. We had an overall rate of the unemployed who were long-term unemployed at about 30%. That was really high. Like one out of three people unemployed found themselves long-term unemployed. At the same time, if you were an older worker, then your chance was 50%, one out of two. Oh, Wow. Right. Wow. So you can see that 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 is a dramatic difference in in more like currently about twenty percent of the unemployed are long term unemployed. That's closer to historical averages for the last twenty years. But and of those, that twenty percent, how many are older? What we know historically, there's a disproportionate number of older workers. The other group is African American workers, also disproportionately likely to get trapped in long-term unemployment. Wow. This all ties very nicely to the title of your book, The Stigma Trap. The word stigma, because it, it really ties in into things and, and how it plays out, things help things play out in hiring practices. And you've identified several biases, and I want to walk through them. The first I'd like to talk about, which we already touched on, is age bias. I think everyone of a certain age is very aware of it. And sometimes recruiters are less honest about it. I've certainly talked to recruiters and like, oh, no, we don't. It doesn't matter. You, you found that it, recruiters were a little more honest with you, weren't they? What did, what did they say about age bias? Well, first, once I guaranteed them that they would be anonymous, I think the recruiters felt much more at ease, uh, talking about age bias. And age bias 
is more they they yeah they're much more open about it than say no one wants to think that they're biased by race or sex but age when you promise someone anonymity in the hr world they will admit it they will say yes there's a set of assumptions about older workers that are widely shared including things such as they may lack energy they may not stick around as long which is a total myth by the way well and also you know the current like young people leave a job they are yes, pretty like yes. clockwork every two years exactly I, exactly no we have research i think the old people are like i'm staying <laughs> exactly <laughs> that that is data backed older workers <laughs> stick around longer and it doesn't matter how much the researchers are saying that to employers employers still are holding on to this false belief mm. that that older workers don't scrap so there's a range of biases less flexible less manageable less adaptive to new technology none of this is borne out by research around productivity and age there are uh, obvious benefits that come with age with experience and wisdom and ability to mentor so this this is a bias <laughs> this right with a clear sticky bias did you so two questions did you also interview hiring managers like the people they people in the line or was it all recruiting people in my, in my research i interviewed recruiters okay who were the clients the recruiters clients were the hiring managers okay so Sometimes the recruiters would say things to me like, I know this is bullshit. I know this doesn't matter, but the hiring manager thinks it matters. So I'm going to do what my client thinks is the right thing. For example, this idea around passive job seekers, maybe we'll get into that more later. later yeah. But that was one case where recruiters often felt this is not really an indicator of a great candidate just because they're not actively searching, but employee hiring managers love it. Did you notice the age of the people that you were speaking to, the age of the recruiters? And part two of that, did they express any concern about their own futures? Everybody, if they're lucky, gets old, right? Yes, yes, <laughs> so yes. Did the they age. see? Did they see that this might happen to them? Yes, and in some cases, it has happened to them, and they brought that up. So they're, they're they had a whole range of, I would guess, thirty to sixty, mm. and in some cases, they themselves had experienced layoffs, and and so they would say, "I know this is crap. I know that that having." stigmatized assumptions about someone because they're unemployed or because they're older is is not accurate this, and they know it from their own stories and yet their clients by and large buy into these uh, myths and perceptions and they said look often the, the recruiters it boiled down to this they said i can look at an older worker and or an unemployed worker and they may be great, but the hiring manager is going to just have questions. It's going to raise a question, you know, why are we going after someone older or unemployed? And then I, at the same time, I have a bunch of candidates who are younger and who are currently working, and I'm not going to get any questions about those. So, so it makes my life easier. I get my makes, pay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And there's no questions. I, it's, it, there's no way that the hiring manager will look skeptically. Am I doing a good job? Like these candidates, if I pass them on, they don't come with any question marks. They recognize that these may not be 
necessarily the best candidates. A deeper look may reveal that the older or unemployed candidate is better, but that it makes their life more complicated. They don't have the bandwidth or. Oh, interesting. It's, so it's, it's just the, it's the it's the friction and the effort for them to, yes. to push it up the hill. We touched on it a little and I want to now dive into it. The next bias, unemployment bias. So let's expressly define what is unemployment bias. Unemployment bias is the bias of looking at a candidate who's not currently working and making some assumptions about their merit, ability, skill, character, based solely on the fact that they're unemployed. So we we know some of this bias kicks in as soon as someone loses their job. This is not my research, but it's research of people that do what's called audit studies. They send out resumes to real job openings, but these are these are fake resumes, so they can keep everything the same. They can send identical resumes in terms of experience, skill, education, and they just vary the one thing they want to study, say, employment status, unemployed, employed. And so we can see how employers respond differently to someone who's unemployed versus employed or particularly longer unemployed, like the Mm. six month or longer. That's where you see the effect kick in even more dramatically in terms of the callback rates. How many people are invited to an interview with the same skills, just having a six month gap on their resume? And the odds are they fall by more than 50 percent. Wow. It's a particularly pernicious bias because it's not just employers who think this this way. It's everyone. You have a great story about a Harvard-educated, deeply experienced, successful gentleman. Can you share the story and also the reactions that people have when you tell them the story? And I want listeners to listen to the story and think their own thoughts. So can you can you take us through that story? Yes. And I, and before I say that, I just want to say there's nothing very special about this story in my research. This is the typical one of the people I, I typically studied who graduated with a degree from MIT, very successful career in, in the world of finance, worked for 30 years in, in various banks, found after the Great Recession, laid off from, from a job, thought, yeah, this is is normal. Lots of other people experiencing the same thing. But then as time went on, (laughs) could not get a job, could not get a job in banking. And then started to think, okay, maybe the problem is that I reached too high a position, position within banking, that there's very few jobs like this. So I'm going to be quote unquote, more realistic, adjust my expectations. I'm going to go for lower level job within banking, the kind she had five years earlier before she lost her job, a more middle position. There were many more of those positions, but now she was finding that she's she's not getting any replies either because when she got feedback, it was that she's overqualified. So she couldn't go down. She couldn't, it was very competitive to get the kind of job she had. She then tried to move sideways, transferable skills to another part of finance or another field. That was a complete non-starter at age 50. You know, manager said, you have no experience at all. Like, we're not going to take someone at your age with no experience. Eventually, this person ended up working as a cashier in a supermarket. Now, the the interesting thing was for me, when I shared this story with other people, so 
I'm doing this research. I'm being, I'm pretty shocked by it. And I'm sharing it with my friends, never revealing anyone's name, but the outlines of the story. And my friend's reactions inevitably were, so what exactly is she doing? Like, what, what can you tell me more about her particular case? And what is what, she doing wrong? What is she doing wrong? This doesn't happen. There's something else going on here. They really were digging to hear what she was doing wrong that would help them make sense of someone who had a degree, very prestigious degree, worked at a in banking for a long time, very successful, but now can't get a job in banking. And what was striking is they never paused and asked me, what's wrong with the hiring system that this right. person with this much skill and talent was not getting a job in their field? But And here's how I came to understand it. The story was terrifying to my friends because on its face, it she did everything right to them. She did everything right. So right. they... If they just accept this story as a problem with the hiring system, it's very terrifying and it's got implications because that means that could happen to them too, right? So if they feel like they're doing everything right, they've got the strong degree and experience. So to really shield yourself from the fear that this can happen to you, a very natural response is to focus on the particular person and what they may be doing wrong. Are they networking enough? Are they? And that almost, that goes to the unemployment bias, which we're all holding, that there must be something about that particular person. I mean, it's very akin to women. If somebody, let's say, gets attacked at night, where were they walking? Were they alone? Was it yes. dark? What they, you know, yes. this is, and because this is a safety thing, this is because I will do everything so I do not find myself in that dangerous position. And what you're saying is, this is one story, but you could have, there were, she was not unique. She was not special. This is not an unusual story, right? Not and at so, all. yeah. And I think that's, that's really insightful that you, you point to the, to the case of a, of a rape. I, I think in all these situations, we have blamed the victim instinct mm. that has its root in self preservation, right? Yes, it's rooted in a way to shield, to it's a false shield, but we're trying to reduce our own anxiety about the idea that this could happen to us, right? So in the case of, of the rape, well, you know, if you if you dress appropriately, if you don't walk in places you shouldn't be walking, this is not going to happen to you, right? So that's a part. We like to tell that story to ourselves because then we feel more safe in the world. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing about career. If if you do the right things, if you're a good hard worker and you are putting in the effort your career is not going to go off a cliff. That's what we like to believe to comfort ourselves. But the, the, the problem with that belief is, first of all, it's not accurate. It's not an well, accurate and, and understanding the, of our society. And it blames the unemployed for their own unemployment. Well, and what's interesting is if we think back to the, the numbers we were talking about in the beginning of the interview, chances are there is a good chance that you will find yourself in this position or somebody near and dear to you yes. will be in yes. this position. And so 
this unemployment bias, it's a real catch-22, is the impact of unemployment bias worse than age bias? That once you've hit that long-term unemployment, doesn't matter if you're young, that's the that's the hardest hurdle. Unfortunately, I we don't have data that kind of parses dis- out that dis- way. Yeah, parses it out and disaggregates it. These things go together. Like so- okay. Yeah, as I said before, if you're older, you're a lot more likely to also be long-term unemployed. And these things, when they're combined, of course, pose a, a harder obstacle. Uh, so I, I can't say precisely which is okay. the greater, but we know that each independently are barriers. That the studies we have separate these things out. So we can see a bias for all ages for someone who's unemployed. Right. And then we, we see a bias for an older worker, regardless of employment or unemployment status. So we know both of these things are, are operating. With the, the story, the MIT finance worker, you mentioned something which was sort of success bias. And this is a bias which surprised me because... That and then on the flip side, underqualification. So you're 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 rock and hard placed. Now, is it is success bias simply a way to cover up age bias? When you were talking to recruiters, did they separate it, or was it just this person's going to be too experienced, too expensive, code for too old? I think these are these are distinct. Okay. These okay. these are are distinct, though they often go together because the people who are experiencing the the overqualification bias tend to be older people because those are the people who are very qualified uh, because it takes years to reach high levels of qualification. But the concerns of the recruiters, the bias of the recruiters is is distinct. So if we think about age bias, like we talked about before, is this person flexible? Are they, do they have the energy? Are they going to stick around for a long time? Are they going to increase the health insurance, the group rate? Right. Um, <laughs> now, but with the overqualification, it's the concern is this. The person has already attained a higher level than what they're applying for now. Will they be happy? Will they stick around? Because, and it's a different issue around sticking around than age. Age is the assumption person may retire. Here, they're going to be unhappy because they already had attained a higher position. Therefore, they're going to continue searching until they find the job that fits the higher level that they had already attained. And so the assumption is that somebody who's already reached a higher level is never going to be happy one rung down, and they're going to also expect to be paid at the higher levels that they had already achieved. I talked to a lot of job seekers who were happy taking a step back. They they had that experience. Say they were executive director and now they're fine. This right. fits their current their, life, their life and their, their lifestyle. It would be fine with them. And so yes. can we trust people to understand their own wants and desires? Well, here's the trap. So the rec- when I talk to the recruiters and they explain their concern about, well, these workers can be too unhappy, too expensive, too much looking to leave. I would say, okay, what can someone do if this is not the case, if they actually, this is a job they want? And the recruiters would say, well, I just, they need to be very upfront about that and they need to address this. But even then, would they believe (laughs) But would they even, yes, and would they even give them a chance to share this story? Because what happens in the vast majority of cases is the recruiter will look at the candidate who's quote-unquote overqualified and just move on. 
right? They don't. Right. They never give get the chance, chance to have that conversation. They don't even invite them for an interview. So this is where candidates are so frustrated. They they will put things into their cover letter to explain, but they feel that their application is not even closely looked at because of this issue, and they're being essentially punished for past success. Right? This is just the the very opposite of the kind of system I think we <clears throat> hope we're in a. Meritocracy. Yes, meritocracy. You get (laughs) rewarded for your successes. It opens up more opportunities. Here we see a clear situation where it's working against you. In some cases, I hear coaches saying, well, why don't you just remove that degree, that PhD? Why don't you tone down your resume around what you did in the prior position? I asked recruiters about that. Recruiters said, well, that is serious red flag. If someone misrepresents what they did in their prior position, and that comes out in when we check referrals, when we check references, they're out. Right. So there's a huge risk to to kind of tinkering well, this, with it, the resume. It's interesting because I did interview a gentleman who deals with the resume tracking systems and how they are parsed. And one of the things he talked about were lopping off your jobs, never have more than 20 years experience, probably 15 on any given resume. And that was the only way you have to get in the room to be able to defend it. And, And this is getting into the room. One of the things people say, especially for long-term unemployed, is that most jobs come through networking. But the stigma aspect, how does that play out in networking? Yes. So first, yes, networking is key. The people I study, eventually about half of them do get back to professional good jobs. And almost always networking played some role in, in that. So it it is it is the avenue. It is ultimately the avenue. It's the way that despite all the biases, sometimes hiring managers will overlook that because somebody in the organization vouches for the candidate and says, Hey, this person's really good. You should look at them. So that is a really key strategy. But it's very hard. And it's very hard, particularly if you're unemployed, particularly even more if you're long-term unemployed. So the recruiters and coaches and anybody giving advice typically just say, oh, yeah, just network, 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 as as if people don't know that and, (laughs) and and as if it's so easy. It's really, it's not easy, partly because the stigmas that I described and we talked about in employers really are not only in the minds of employers, they're in the minds of everybody. Everybody in the lives of the job seeker is potentially looking at them through this skeptical lens of why really are you unemployed? Like, what um, are you? What is wrong with you? After a while, you go, your network may be great when you're first let off work, but come six months on, they're like, what's going on with you? (laughs) Right, 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 right. So exactly. The network is easiest to tap right when you lose your job. Lots of people, most people have been through this. But if you are not scooped up before due to age discrimination, unemployment discrimination, bad luck, all these factors, you are finding yourself still unemployed after six months. And now you're repeatedly going back to what is a finite pool of former colleagues. You start to get less 
enthusiastic responses in some cases. Also, the opportunities to network no longer happen organically. When you're when you're working as a professional in your field, you're constantly exposed to networking opportunities just through your work. Right. You're talking with clients and, and at conferences, et cetera. When you're a job seeker and unemployed, any networking needs to be created. It has to be proactively created by you reaching out. It's a that, that which is a lot more harder than tapping organic opportunities as they arise. The other thing that makes it really tough is for successful networking, you you need to present the best of yourself, the strong professional, the skilled, experienced professional that you are. And yet, if you're six months unemployed, you're very, very likely experiencing emotional crisis, perhaps financial crisis, perhaps marital crisis. There are a lot of things that go on that are very challenging to the person's emotional well-being as a result of unemployment. Networking requires masking all of that. It requires... Well, right, it's sort of jazz hands. Everything's great. Showtime. You have to appear confident. For someone else to be confident in you, you need to show confidence in yourself. And yet it's probably the moment at which you feel least confident. You can't appear desperate in this way. There's so many parallels to dating, right. but no right. one wants to date someone who's desperate. No one wants to hire or refer someone who's desperate for a job, right? Because they're thinking they're not really coming to me because they think I'm special. They're coming to me because they'll take anybody. Like, so that, that is... right. That, right. that, that's, that's, you can't, that's not a winning approach. And yet someone who's long-term unemployed facing financial crisis may very well be desperate. So this has to be masked. So the more that the presentation of self that needs to go on for successful networking diverges from what the person is actually feeling inside, the mm. harder it is to network. Right. The authenticity is just it just isn't there. You're a sociologist. You've walked through a very honest, albeit very depressing description of of the context and all the skillful self-promotion and personal branding in the world won't change that context. So what are some things that people can do to help themselves when they are in this position of the gap between how they have to present and and what they are experiencing, what are some things that they can do? Yeah. So the number one key is to successfully push back on the internalization of the stigma. So the, the stigma is all around, as I said. One of the greatest challenges is that we tend to internalize it and start fearing that something may be wrong with us. And when you do that, it becomes extremely difficult to, to be a successful job seeker. So how do you fight back against the internalization? You need the support of others. It, it, this is not something that can be done alone. The, the emotional support is crucial for someone facing this kind of long-term unemployment. Sadly, in many cases, marriages don't provide the kind of support that you would hope. Friend, old friends may, but may not provide this kind of support. Often the best support comes from other people who are in the same boat. There are groups in every city for 
job seekers. Sometimes they're called networking groups, but if they're truly just for networking, that's not what you're looking for. You, you need a group where people can be truly letting their guard down and sharing with each other what's going on. That helps you realize you're not alone. The experiences, the, the, the very difficult emotional challenges are really a product of the structural position, all this bias and stigma that's out there mm-hmm. that makes it a shared experience. Everyone that goes through this has this kind of emotional fallout as a result of it. And when you realize that, then you no longer fear, okay, there's something wrong with me. You're able to see I am facing a very difficult structure, but this is external. It's, it says nothing about me. And then that's the kind of boost that I think is needed to get out there and be able to effectively network, effectively interview, present yourself to employers and professional colleagues. So you, you need this to deal with the social emotional piece mm. so that you're feeling whole enough and, and validated enough in yourself to be able to go out there and effectively job search. So important. And and so so much of the time, a lot of the career coaching and counseling is sort of happy talk. Just be positive. And what, that isn't necessarily very helpful. It's hard. These biases, these are real. You're not a crazy person. So guess what? Guess what? Even coaches can have the bias. Um, the, <laughs> yeah. Even the people and the support settings that are meant to help will sometimes fall into this idea of... The way it's presented is, look, what you need to do is to be a better job seeker. That's the only problem here is you need to learn some networking techniques. We have to hone your LinkedIn profile and then all will be well. That presentation of the problem, focusing just on job search skills, is a way of conveying stigma because it's saying to the job seeker, the problem is you. You haven't been able to find a job in six months. It's really about how you're looking for work. And it does not acknowledge the, the structural, the biases. The, the, the problem is, so the job seeker listening to this can get very excited. Like, oh, cool. All I have to do is fix my LinkedIn profile. The problem is they fix the LinkedIn profile. They And it still doesn't work. And it still doesn't work. And then how did they understand it, right? Then the self-blame kicks in even harder. And then they become more convinced of something about them. So effective support needs to acknowledge what's going on, needs to acknowledge the reality of the situation is that how you job search absolutely matters. Networking is probably the key. But to be an effective networker and job seeker, we have to address the elephant in the room, which is the emotional crisis Everyone experiences the experience of stigma, the experience of people close to you, maybe looking at you skeptically. People need a space to talk about this with others who are going through the same thing, to realize that they're not alone, that it's not about them. And then they have the bandwidth to really do the the other more practical things around job search that they do need to do. Right, which are still going to take time, but at least you're in a you're in a better, more more likely to be successful place. Thank you so much for going through this. There will be a click to purchase link in the show notes. 
Thank you all so much. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Norton, the voice artist who recorded our open. And of course, all of you, the members of our audience, thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.